Once you're certain for shepherds in fields as they Y'all can have a seat for just a moment. I'm so excited that all of y'all have chosen to be here with us on this Christmas Eve. We have an incredible service planned that's going to be God-honoring, that helps us to focus on the Lord as we prepare to celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. Uh, first, I want to say thank you. If, uh, I see a number of new faces in the crowd, so there are uh, some visitors. If you see a visitor around you, feel free to... Uh, make yourself known, introduce yourself to them, and, uh, and we want them to feel welcome. So thank you so much for being here this morning. Um, I want to mention a couple things. First, we're going to knock out some announcements early in the service. Uh, first is that uh, if you came prepared to give your tithes and offerings today, uh, you can do that in several different ways. You can do it first through the drop boxes at each exit as you leave the room this morning. You can also give online through the church website. Or you can do it by mail or drop it off at the uh, church office. Any of those ways that you're feeling led to give, whatever is easiest for you, um, you can do that. Speaking of offerings, we currently are in the season of our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, this offering is to support the International Mission Board. Um, in fact, the majority of the IMB's annual funding comes through this one December offering, the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And so if you're feeling uh, led to give uh, over and above your tithe, you can do so to the Lottie Moon um, Christmas offering 
there at the website on the screen. And then finally, I want to say that today uh, we're going to be having our candlelight uh, worship service here towards the end after pastor's message. Um, there are candles, and if you have one, make sure that you don't light it early. We'll be coming around with uh, a flame to share. We don't need any help with your, your lighters. If you have one, that's okay. I'm excited too, but wait until the proper time in the worship service to get those uh, lit all together. Immediately following that time of worship, uh, we're going to be going out into the lobby for a time of fellowship. There's going to be snacks and coffee and drinks, and uh, we'll get time just to fellowship here on Christmas Eve. Again, I'm so excited that every one of you chose to be here this morning. And so now uh, I invite you to stand and turn and greet your neighbors. If you see a new face, shake hands, say hi. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Please stand as we continue.
You can be seated this morning and welcome Merry Christmas Eve to you once again this morning. It's so good to see you and I just want to say I know we have a lot of people traveling as we always do on Christmas Eve, but it is good to see some folks that maybe you grew up here in Livingston, you're home for the holidays, so welcome home and we want to welcome you back to Central. And if you grew up in this church, we want to welcome you home because if you grew up here, this is your, your home where maybe the Lord moved in your life in amazing ways. Maybe you got saved here, you got baptized here, maybe you grew in the faith here, but we're just so thankful that you're home, and so thank you for, uh, for coming. If you're new in our community, of course, we are, want to thank you for uh, being a part of our, uh, our worship service this morning, and that is what we are doing, right? We're worshiping King Jesus, and we're going to be looking at his word in a few moments, and we're going to be celebrating um, his, uh, his birth. Of course, this season has been all about the celebration of the coming of Jesus, and I want you to pray with me. You can come at the, at the front if you'd like to pray with us here at the front, but I want us to just spend some time this morning praying and talking to the Lord, and let's, uh, let's remember uh, his incredible gift to us this Christmas season. So let's pray this morning uh, as, we, uh, as we prepare our hearts for what his word says to us today. Fathers, we come to you, thank you this morning for sending your son into the world on a day like this. We remember what John 3.16, so familiar to many of us, says that for Father, you loved the world so much that you gave your only begotten son. What a promise that he who believes in him will have everlasting life. We thank you, Jesus, that even though Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, you have come that we might have life and have it abundantly. You promise us life, Father. You promise us life in Jesus. We thank you that you, Jesus, came to this earth and you came to rescue us. What began in a cradle ended at the cross. That Lord continued through the tomb to the empty tomb, to a place where, Father, you and your son stood before 11 young men and you spoke into their life and you said, all authority has been given to you both in heaven and on earth, and you commissioned those 11 men to go and to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to teach them all that you had commanded us. And then you promised that you would never leave them. For Lord, you said that you would be with them to the end of the age. What a promise. What a commission. What began in the cradle, continued to the cross as you ascended into heaven after your resurrection, and here we are. Recipients, Lord, of someone who was faithful enough to tell us this story, someone who was faithful enough, Lord, to pour into our lives, to model for us the good news of Jesus Christ, and then to share with us that good news as to why their lives looked the way that they looked and sound the way that they sound. Not perfect, but striving for righteousness, striving for holiness. Lord, that is amazing grace, and we are recipients of that grace, and we are recipients of that mercy this morning. We come to you, Lord, knowing and understanding we are broken people. We are sinners, God. And so we lay these things before you on this Christmas weekend, and we confess them to you. We repent of them this morning. For Lord, we know that you receive our worship when we come to you with clean hands and a pure heart. When we come to you, Lord, not allowing the world to take ownership of our lives, and we somehow expect to worship you, but Lord, we come to you as broken people in need of grace and mercy, and we remember what Romans 8 says, that you do not condemn us when we come to you, but you are faithful and you are just to forgive us of our sins when we come to you with a sincere and a broken heart. Oh Lord, you've touched our lives with the gospel. You've touched our lives with Jesus. And we want to thank you this morning that you have, Lord, given us the light in a dark world in a world that is broken, in a world that is in chaos, in a world that is confused, in a world where we see so much damage and brokenness, you have given us the light. And we worship you this morning because you have opened our eyes 
You've opened our hearts to see the truth. And for many of us in this room, we've embraced that truth. We've turned our lives over to you. You have, Lord, opened our hearts and you have poured into us life. Not just the promise of eternal life, but the gift of abundant life. And in a world where there is so much pain and suffering and struggle, even that we experience on a regular basis, because of the nature by which we are touched in this broken world we live in, we thank you that even through that, we have abundant life. And we're grateful. God, we're grateful this morning to you. So we pray that, Lord, our music can, that our hearts have been pleasing to you as we've been singing, as we've been praying, as we've been, Lord, seeing one another in the joy of this weekend. And now, God, would you turn our hearts to your word, because it is your word that you have spoken into our life. Remind us of who you are this morning. Touch our hearts, Lord, through your word, and give us the courage to respond to it on this Christmas weekend. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Once again, I want to encourage you to take a Bible, and I want you to turn with me to the Psalms. We're going to be in Psalm 110 this morning, once again, in the Psalms, one last time as we look at what God's Word has to say to us today. Uh, We have been, these last four Sundays in a season, called The Return of the King. We've been looking at together on Sunday morning four specific psalms that have reminded us of who King Jesus is. And so we have seen um, these multiple pictures, if you will, of what the Bible says to us, the psalms say to us about who Jesus Christ is. So we've been reminded of who King Jesus is. You know, we're in a strange season, aren't we? Because we're in this season right now, in this place in the world, where we remember that Jesus Christ has come. That's what all the holidays and the pageantry are about, but it is what we remember, not just during the Christmas season, but we remember that throughout the year, but we are also in a season of expectation to the future. And we're remembering of what God is going to do in the future by sending his son back to us. So we live in this world, we live in this season, and in between those two major events, the coming of Jesus and the return of Jesus, we live. What an incredible season it is because we are all touched by suffering and struggle, disappointment and discouragement at times in our life, but we remember King Jesus. I think in our world today, in our culture today, there is a disconnect to some degree about the reality of Jesus and the response that we have towards that reality. In other words, we know that Jesus came. We know that he existed. We know that he has come and what he did on the cross for us and from the grave. We remember that. That is undeniable. Historically, it's undeniable. We remember that. Eyewitness after eyewitness, hundreds of people seeing what Jesus did and hearing what Jesus did. The Bible being an incredible book, not a historical document, but something that across thousands of years and hundreds of writers in the sense that God has ordained this and spoken into our life. The reality of Jesus is true, but what we see in our culture today and what we see oftentimes in our own personal lives is the disconnect, if you will, the reality of Jesus and the response to his authority, the response to Jesus coming into the world. We see that struggle. We feel that struggle. We see him. Maybe You come this morning and you're saying, well, listen, you know, I believe in Jesus that he existed and he was a moral man, he was a moral teacher, but if you would just show me Jesus himself, if you would just put him in front of me and speak into my life, I would believe, I would embrace that, I would follow that with my whole heart, I would react to King Jesus in just that way, I would bow down to King Jesus and live according to his authority. But you know what? That wouldn't be enough. In fact, there's multiple accounts in the New Testament of where Jesus stood before individuals and he spoke into their lives and yet they still did not believe. There's a great story in Matthew chapter 22. I want to read it for you this morning. And it comes at a time when Jesus was being tested. He was being tested multiple times by many questions, by many religious teachers, by many people who were speaking into his life. 
And in Matthew chapter 22, it comes to where he was teaching in the temple, and this is what it says. Now, while the Pharisees, they were religious leaders of the day, were gathered together, they were conspiring and finding ways that they could try to question and get you and Jesus into that gotcha moment. Jesus asked them a question, saying, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, well, the son of David. He said to them, well, how is it that David, in the spirit, calls him Lord and says, quote, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. That's what Jesus says. If then David calls him Lord, then how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. And from that day, did anyone dare to ask him any more questions? Maybe that's a question you've been asking. Who is Jesus and who and what is he come to, and what has he come to do? Our con- culture today is confused. Some see Jesus as just a moral teacher. Some see Jesus as someone who is a good man, who is a model by which I live my life by. Some say Jesus is a, a moral teacher, if you will, and, and, and I can somehow figure out a way that I can do what Jesus did or live like Jesus in some way, form, or fashion. David, in this psalm, didn't know the name of the Messiah. He didn't know who the anointed one was, but he certainly understood and knew his place in God's kingdom. And I want to show you this morning. Look at Psalm 110 with me this morning. We're just going to walk through it together. It says this, the Lord said to my Lord, David says, sit at my right hand. Sound familiar? And I make your enemies until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, ruler, rule in the midst of your enemies. He says, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment upon the nations, among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs and over the, the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. David here in this psalm is the author. In fact, Jesus just said he was the author in Matthew chapter 22. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, David pens this psalm. And the thing about this psalm is what is so fascinating about this psalm, it is, it is the most quoted psalm or part of the Old Testament quoted all over the New Testament. 25 times verse 1 is quoted in reference to Jesus in the New Testament. Five times verse 4 is quoted in the New Testament in reference to Jesus. This whole psalm is about Jesus himself. When David is inspired by the Holy Spirit right here in Psalm 110, he's reporting on a conversation. Do you notice that? In verse 1 it says, the Lord says to my Lord. He's reporting on the conversation between a father and a son. And what David does is he paints this picture, two pictures if you will, of who this Messiah, this anointed one would be. And what he would do and what he would accomplish. No matter what the world says, no matter what our culture says, no matter what I even say in my heart and how I redefine sometimes Jesus in my own heart, the Bible is very clear as to who Jesus is. He is our king and he is our priest. He is our king and he is our priest. He both reigns and he represents. He reigns on our hearts and wants to reign in our life and he represents us before the Father. And on this Christmas Eve morning, I think it is important as we come to the end of this year in December and we specifically focus on who Jesus is in this particular, on this particular weekend. I want to show you all of this from Psalm 110. We have walked through multiple Psalms. Psalm 2, the first Sunday in December was all about, we saw Jesus' coronation. We were taken to a throne room and we see the coronation of Jesus himself. We see a wedding over in Psalm 45 in week 2 in December. And we saw there that this, this wedding between a bride, the bride of Christ, the church, and the groom, Jesus, coming again one day. We saw a week ago this picture of Jesus' authority in Psalm 72, and this morning we see his priesthood. 
We see this idea of his being the king priest. Psalm 110 opens, very clearly opens with this understanding and paints the picture of Jesus being our great king. Look at your Bibles with me again. We're taken back to this throne room. Just like in Psalm 2, we're taken back to a throne room where we see not only the coronation, but the reign of the king. When you think about a king, what do you think of? You think about a crown. And the crown of King Jesus put upon his head, the coronation of Jesus and what his role is and who he is and what he is about. We remember that about Jesus Christ. And right here, we see the same picture of a throne room. When David sees this picture, it says, the Lord says to my Lord. The Father says to the Son and gives him three promises. Do you notice that in the first three verses of Psalm 110? He promises him that I will, delete, I will defeat your enemies in verse 1. He then goes into verse 2 and says, I will extend your kingdom there in verse 2. He says, I will give you an army in verse 3. The Father gives the Son these promises. Verse 1 itself, remember a moment ago, we said it is quoted 25 times throughout the New Testament. And it has this incredible role, this big role in defining and identifying who Jesus is. I'll just tell you one of these, these scenes, or we just saw it in Matthew chapter 22. I'll share you with you another one. It, tell, it comes in Acts chapter 2, right here in this text, when Peter stands up after Pentecost, and he begins to preach this sermon. And as he preaches this sermon, it says in part of his sermon, this is what Peter says. There in Jerusalem, a thousand of people who were looking on in multiple languages, and they're hearing this in their own heart language. This is what Peter says. Before therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you received and are seeing and hearing. And he says, and he quotes, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. And he says, until I make your enemies a footstool. An incredible passage. He goes on to say, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And it goes on and on, multiple places where verse 1 right here in Psalm 110 is used. Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews, goes on and says, Jesus is above the angels. He is higher than the angels. He's more important than the angels. And quotes this very verse right here. What I want to share with you is two things about Jesus being our great king this morning on this Christmas weekend. First of all, I want you to notice that he is enthroned. Jesus doesn't enthrone himself. He does not coronate. He does not put the crown upon his head. Who puts the crown upon his head? Who is it that enthrones him? Father in heaven. Look at verse 1 with me. David sees, and he sees these two names of, of the Lord and God right here in the, in the verse. In verse 1, it says, once again, the Lord said to my Lord. This is so important to understanding who Jesus is. Two names for God that are there. Yahweh and Adonai. Yahweh being the name of the Father in heaven. The Lord Yahweh says to my Lord Adonai, Messiah, anointed one, Christ. And he says, the Father is saying here to the Son, and by doing that, we see here this incredible command. You see these important words that the Father says to the Son in verse 1, sit at my right hand. The only command in the psalm comes right there, sit at my right hand. Yahweh says to Adonai, Yahweh says to Messiah, sit. All authority has been given to Jesus. He's given him a position of prestige. He's given him a position of honor in every way. Let's look at the phrase again. Look at it with me. It says, sit. Meaning there's a finished task. When you open up the book of Hebrews and you look at what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, the priest stood. The priest did not stand. He or sat, sat down. He stood on behalf of the people before the Father. But what does it say here in verse 1? He says, sit. Christ sits. He sits until what? Until, meaning he awaits the last surrender of what's going to happen until the enemies have been made footstools. The enemies, your footstool, a symbol of complete and total victory in every way. Seven times that very phrase, until I make your enemies your footstool, is used in the New Testament to point to Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus does. He brings to bear all things. It is the Father who 
enthrones the Son. But notice that this king is also empowered by God. He's empowered in verse 2 and 3. Look at the verses with me again. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. He addresses the king in the third person. You notice that? Yahweh sends Adonai, he sends this anointed one and gives him this mighty scepter, a symbol there, a picture of dominion, a picture of strength, a picture of power and authority. And who does this? Does King Jesus do this? No, the Father does this. He hands him the scepter. He gives him the authority. He empowers him. And then he gives him in verse three a what? An army of volunteers. Notice they don't do that on their own. They don't come because they have to. They come because they are willing to come. They are willing. They are dressed as priests. And there is a great multitude of them. This is what David sees and he hears. That the father says to the son. That Yahweh says to Adonai. Yahweh, Jehovah says to the Christ. I'm going to give you this army. When I think about Jesus Christ, I think of him in terms of how the Bible describes him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 21, the apostle Paul describes him this way, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. That's who Jesus is. And that is who Jesus is referenced here, right here in this verse. It is Jesus who is enthroned by God. It is Jesus who is empowered by God the Father. Oh, today the Lord Jesus has enemies. When the apostles walked on this earth, when the disciples walked on this earth, they pushed back darkness. They continued to preach and teach and minister and counsel and point people to the very one that this world had crucified on the cross. And in our day and age, today in our day and age, this Sunday morning, every Sunday morning, every day of the week, the followers of Jesus Christ, the church, we have victory. And you know how we have victory? Then we persistently pray and we push back the darkness. We consistently pray and the Lord moves. We consistently take his word and we share it with others because it is the word of God that changes people's lives. Oh, it's not the pageantry. It's not the music. It's not the Christmas trees. It is the word of God that brings about victory. It is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit You see, today we push back the darkness by way of our prayer. We push back the darkness and we represent King Jesus in this world by way of not only do we pray, we share the the word and we do that in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He moves powerfully through us as followers of Jesus Christ. He is a great king. But David's not done because he sees not only a great king, but he also sees this great high priest This king is also a high priest. Verse four there in your Bibles, an incredibly important verse for us because it is quoted there five times throughout the New Testament. And look at it with me in your Bibles once again. The Lord has sworn, it says, and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. A central verse to this whole Psalm. Quoted so many times. But let me tell you something, in the Old Testament, that concept, that idea was foreign. Not only to be a priest or a king, but also to be not only the king, but the priest together in the same person, the same role. A king priest. Very unusual. And to an Old Testament audience, the union of a priest and the king were were foreign. But when you open the New Testament and you read in Hebrews chapter 5 and then you turn to Hebrews chapter 6 and the writer of Hebrews then points to Hebrews chapter 7 and on down the line through the book of Hebrews, what you will find is that Jesus is this high priest. All the way until the apostle Paul begins to pick up on this and as he writes this in Romans chapter 8 verse 34, this is what Jesus is being referenced by. He says, who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father. Sound familiar? Who indeed is what? Interceding for us as a priest. Oh, he is a king priest. This is the Apostle Paul saw this in this light. We are to see him in this light. And the only example that we have in the Bible itself is this example of a man by the name of Melchizedek, a king in we see and pick up on in Genesis chapter 14, only three times does Melchizedek show up in the Bible. He shows up in Genesis, 
He shows up right here in Psalm 110, and he's going to show up again in the book of Hebrews, all referencing Jesus Christ or the Messiah that would come. In Genesis chapter 14 is where we pick up here. And in Genesis chapter 14, there is this explanation about this king, the king Melchizedek. Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 14 that that there is this man by the name of Melchizedek, a king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was a priest of God most high. He is the king of righteousness, and he blessed him, and he said, blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed God, and he went on, and he blessed be God, he said, and blessed be God most high who has delivered, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. There is this incredible story of Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? We don't know much about him. He's a flash in the pan. He shows up very quickly in the Bible and then he disappears as quickly as he shows up. But what we do know and understand is that not only does he show up there, but he shows up right here in Psalm 110. He shows up again in Hebrews in pointing out and pointing people to Jesus being this new order by the king Melchizedek. Look at verse 1, or look at verse 4 again with me. You see, just like verse 1, verse 4 is so critical and key in understanding who Jesus is. Look at how David and what David hears. This oracle, if you will, this oath, if you will, that the father says to the son in third person, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He gives him the title of high priest. He is a mediator and a source of salvation for all who believe. This is what the, he, the, the, the high priest would do. He shows us the way to get to heaven. By becoming priest, he initiates a new order, verse 4 says. Great, the greater priesthood, that he, it has a greater priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. And we see that in Hebrews chapter 7. All of that is important here because you need to understand what these last few verses of this psalm say to us on this Christmas weekend. Number one, you need to understand that the priesthood in this priesthood will not end doesn't end. It's not temporary. It's not based on the life expectancy of a human being. No, in verse 4, there is this divine oath. And, 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 and the father then goes on to say, he does not change his mind to give you and I emphasis. Whatever the father says, whatever God says is truth, period. And the father in heaven says that this is my son, This is the Messiah. This is the anointed one. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You think about that when it comes to the covenant of David. We have walked through that over the past several weeks. But when you point out and you open up the Old Testament, you see that when David became king, he was given this promise by God that his kingship would not end. Well, consider this. His kingship only lasted a few hundred years. It was King David and then King Solomon and it continued down the road. But, but here's the thing, for 2,500 years, there has not been a human king over God's people Israel. Why? Because there cannot be an earthly king, but there is an eternal king and that's King Jesus. He is the king that this psalm is pointing out and pointing us to, it will not end, but it also will not fail. His priesthood will not end, and it will never, ever fail. Oh, this points to Revelation chapter six. This is a warrior lamb. At the end of this psalm, he points out in verses five and six and seven, he is sitting at the right hand of God, but there is a day of power that we see in verse three that comes back to a day of his wrath in verse five. Let me tell you something. The world may be confused now about who Jesus is. The, may, the world may redefine who Jesus is. You may redefine and you may define Jesus in the way that you want to define him outside of what the Bible says, but there will come a day when the world and with all people will know without a doubt who Jesus is. There may be clar- confusion today, but there will be clarity in the future. And this is what Psalm 110 is pointing us to. 
he will always be known. So what do you do with that? What do you do with a king priest? Well, I'll tell you what you do with that. You surrender to him. Maybe you've been asking yourself, who is Jesus? Well, there's no confusion. The world may be confused. We may come up with our own definition of who Jesus is. He may just be about the pageantry, and he may be about this, or he may be about that, but uh, I want to say to you this morning that he is a better David. He's not like King David. He's a better David. And the only response that you have to a king is you bow down to him. The only response that you have to a king is that you begin to worship him because his identity matters. His reality leads to a response. Not just to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, but to redirect my life to live for him as a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not enough to acknowledge him and to know him and to believe what the Bible says about him. It is when the Bible begins to impact my life on a a profound way. The truth of who Jesus is, the fact that he is a king, and the only response that I have is to surrender and to bow down to the king who wears the crown. You see, Jesus wants to be the king of your heart. He wants to be the king of your life, not just by name, but by your lifestyle and how you live your life. You acknowledge him for who he is, And you surrender to him. And when you surrender to him, then you will worship him. And when you begin to worship him, you worship him as king. And when you begin to worship him, then you can abide in him. John 15, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. You will then bear much fruit. And when you surrender to him and you begin to worship him and then you are abiding in him, guess what will happen in your life? You will rest in him. What I want to say to you this morning, Christian and non-Christian in the room, the Bible points out and Jesus points us to in the New Testament in Matthew 11, 28, Jesus says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the promise, the promise of what Jesus gives to us. So he's king. He's also our priest. God looks at your life and my life, and he sees the real problem in our hearts. It's not cancer. It's, it's not, it's not the, the bad things that happen to us. He sees the real problem in our hearts, and it's sin. And Jesus comes as king to represent the Father, the perfection of the Father, to a broken world. You see, you and I are really good at comparing ourselves to the person down the road. Well, at least I'm not like him, or at least I'm not like her. And we're really good at comparing our goodness or our badness to other people. But what Jesus says is you don't compare yourself to a broken person. You compare yourself to perfection, and that's me. Because I represent the Father. But the beauty of the priest is he represents the brokenness of man, you and I, to a perfect Father. Which is why Jesus is king And he is our priest before the Father. Which is why the Bible can tell us and remind us time and time again that he does not condemn, but he forgives. There is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. What a promise. What God wants out of your life is for us to not only acknowledge the reality of Jesus, but to respond to him in the proper way to surrender him, to worship him, to abide in him, to rest in him. Will you do that this morning? I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. This morning, what is God speaking to you about on this Christmas morning? Maybe the Lord's been speaking to you about the fact that Jesus is not your king. He doesn't sit on the throne of your life. What God wants for you in your life is he wants you to surrender your life to him.
I can't think of a better time of year than to surrender your life to Jesus. And we're going to have a time in the service where you can do that. We're going to stand and sing in a moment. And you come down and you just simply say to me, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. You want to make him king of your heart. And you want to respond to him on this Christmas Eve morning to give your life to him. He is our king and he is our priest. Is he your king as he is your priest? Maybe God's speaking to you about another matter. Maybe you need prayer over a matter. What is God saying to you? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand and we're going to sing this great Christmas carol together. And while we stand and we sing together, if you want prayer over any matter, you come you come either to me and you just come on down. There are people that are willing to pray for you. If you want to come and just kneel here at the front and just pray and talk to the Lord, thank him for the grace and the mercy in your life. Whatever God is saying to you, you come. But if God's leading you to give your life to Jesus Christ, you come. And you can have the greatest gift that God has offered you this morning. Salvation, forgiveness of your sins once and for all the promise of eternal life, the gift of an abundant life. If that's where God has you this morning, you come. I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna stand and sing. God, thank you this morning for the time that we've had in your word. We pray for your hand to be upon us now. Give us courage, Lord, if you're speaking to us now to respond. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing this together. And you have the courage to come. God leads you. You can be seated, family, and, uh, you know, we're going to close our service out this morning in a very special way, and uh, I want to invite my family to come forward. They're going to come and help us this, this morning as we think about um, this Advent season. We've had some great families up here kind of leading us through this season and this process as we have read some scripture together, and we understand and remember that this season is about, and the, the idea of Advent is this expectancy, right? It is uh, an, an awaiting, if you will, of Jesus Christ returning. And so we have this season where Jesus Christ has come and Jesus Christ is returning again one day. And that's why we've been lighting these candles. We've been reading scripture. We've been praying. I want to read for us this morning on this Christmas morning. I'm standing in front of my family here. But let me, let me read for us on this Christmas morning. Do we have that verse there that we can pop up for me? There it is. It tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, in the sixth day, uh, the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from heaven to a city of Galilee named Nazareth and to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Uh, and behold, you will conceive in your, your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. We remember that season this time of year. You want to light that middle one? We remember that season this time of the year as um, the one, the light that Jesus has come and, and given to us. Um, in, just for, in just a moment, the lights are going to come down, and um, we're going to light uh, from the center candle, um, representing that Jesus Christ has come. And I want to remind us this morning, so I'm going to give you the heads up, the lights are going to come down in just a moment. Um, but I want to remind you that, you know, as we light from this center candle, we're going to uh, light all of our candles this morning from this candle. Um, and it's a reminder that we take the light of Christ into the world wherever we go, okay? And so with that being said, uh, I'm gonna invite some of the men who are gonna come up. They're gonna help us um, light our candles. What's that? Your candle's worthy. Oh, yes. One, one more. As, as these are coming, let me ask uh, Christina. She's gonna lead us in prayer. One last time, and then we're going to light our candles, and we'll go from there. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for the season that we can come and celebrate the birth of your son. Thank you for being a faithful God whose love is unconditional. Thank you for having a plan um, to save us after we sin. Lord, each one of us is a sinner in this room, Lord, in need of a Savior. And I pray for those that have not accepted you yet as their Lord and Savior. I pray, Lord, that you would call their hearts, Lord, to yourself, that they would understand of your great love for them, and that they would understand this season, Lord, that you sent your Son to live a perfect life on this earth, Lord, to die a death that we deserve, Lord, in our place, but to raise again and sit at your right hand and to intercede for us, Lord, as our King and our High Priest. And I thank you so much for that, and I pray for any... In this room, Lord, that have not surrendered to you yet, Lord, would you continue to call their hearts and would they have the courage to say yes to you? And Lord, as we go um, into this season, spending time with friends and family that do not know you, Lord, would you help us to be a light? Would you give us courage and boldness to share the light of Christ with others, to share our testimonies, to share the gospel? And Lord, would their hearts be softened towards you, Lord? And may we see the lights that we are lighting today, Lord. May we see this as a symbol of us going out from here, Lord, and letting our light shine, Lord, but also leading others to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. From one light, we'll light all of our candles. I want to encourage you to stand with us. We're going to sing together as we're uh, lighting our candles around the room.
congregation. Let's sing together. from our family to yours. We want to wish you a Merry Christmas, and we hope you have a great rest of your afternoon and Christmas Day tomorrow. Lord bless, and uh, have a great, great day. We're dismissed.